and welcome to the podcast. This is Pam Paladin, and with me today are two illustrious doctors, AAO members, uh, Dr. Anil Adikula, who's from Colorado, a doctor in private practice. Uh, probably you've heard his name as a speaker, and he is also a consultant to the AAO Council on Communications. Welcome, Dr. Adikula. Thank you. And also joining us is Dr. Myron Guyman, who is the trustee from Rocky Mountain on the AAO Board of Trustees, and welcome to you. Good to be back. Thank you. I think this is going to be one of the most interesting interviews I've ever done over the years. Who would like to uh, tell us why we're here, why we're doing this interview today? You know, Pam, this is uh, something that came out of some discussions that uh, Anil and I had, oh gosh, probably nearly a year ago. This is a discussion that probably needs to be had. Uh, we want to talk today about mental wellness. Uh, not that we're particularly experts at it, but uh, we feel that, that this is a discussion that needs to start somewhere, somehow, and because we have a platform and a forum to do it, to reach out to our members that we thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about mental wellness. I think it's important. I think uh, a lot of it's something that just is not talked about. You know, uh, it's been interesting recently, the anxiety, depression issues um, that are that are coming out into the open. We see athletes like Kevin Love, DeMarcus Rosen, uh, DeRozan, the uh, quarterback from uh, BYU, Tanner Magnum, where they've come out and talked about the issues that they have with uh, mental wellness and anxiety, depression, and, and how it's affected them. Yet you're looking at people that, for the most part, you think that they would never have a care in the world. And, and again, this is the kind of discussion that needs to be started somehow, some way, and we thought we'd take the uh, opportunity today to do that. You see people that you feel are successful and think they must have the world on a string, only to find out that, you know, they struggle with things too. So I uh, I was first introduced to the reality of suicide and uh, the dark path that um, mental health and mental illness and the lack of mental wellness can take you down, involved in the orthodontic profession. Back about eight years ago, uh, my first orthodontic mentor took his own life. And the ironic thing is he was the happiest and most inspiring orthodontist I still have met to date. And no one saw it coming. So that was when it first hit me in the face. And since then, I'm sure a lot of friends have gone through this and seen this personally. Um, But it's something that if you haven't seen it yet, you most likely will. And every single case is, is unfortunate. And then, uh, Two years ago, I I opened up to the orthodontic profession about the benefits of seeing a therapist, and uh, since then, the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork to talk to friends and start the discussion has been amazing, so we're here to just further that. Let me just share some uh, statistics that I came across as we uh, prepared for our our discussion today, that uh, 12% of millennials are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's two times the rate of the baby boomer generation. And there's good reasons for that. Our whole world is changing. It's a different world. Uh, 86% of millennials express what they, that they have had what they call a quarter life crisis, um, which would be a crisis that they're having. Uh, You know, we usually think of a midlife crisis. Um, A good friend of mine said that if a man can make it to 50 without screwing up, he's probably going to be okay. Um, But that, that the time frame for crisis used to be much later in life than it is now. You know, I think millennials get a bad rap. There's, there's a lot of things that are said 
that uh, that aren't necessarily positive about millennials. I find them to be the most uh, passionate, uh, engaged, uh, hardworking group when they find what 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 really tugs at their heart. Um, I think sometimes the difficulty comes in finding what what their true passion is. Um, you know, if you're a millennial, you've finished college in in the most difficult job market that has ever existed. Uh, it was the beginning of the Great uh, Recession, the worst economic times that we'd had in several generations. They're struggling with things like student debt, uh, can't find a good job. Those are the kind of external uh, factors that, that play into this. There's also some internal uh, internal factors. The term that was coined was ambition addiction, to do more and more and more. I'm kind of a late baby boomer uh, with generation te- X tendencies, I've been told. And my generation was really the last generation that could realistically think that we would have it better than our parents. The subsequent to that, it's it's harder and harder to have better. And so the expectations that we have in careers and life and income levels and things like that maybe are 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 need to be tempered to the, what the reality of the 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 work, what the world is. Um, we have a tremendous choice overload. You know, it's, it's where do I eat? Where do I go for recreation? Do you know how many YouTube video choices that you have? I mean, even on the AAO YouTube channel, I'll make a shameless plug. There's more than several choices that you make. And sometimes with the many amount of choices that we have, it's hard to make a choice. And consequently, we either don't make good choices or don't make any choice. I think that's where, where some of the problems come from this. So is it, is it a real issue? Sure it is. Um, are you crazy? No. Is it in your head? No. It's it's a factor of the the influences um, all around us all the time, and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. So there are some other stats um, as Myra and I were looking at this that we want to bring the membership aware of, and one of those is uh, in healthcare professionals specifically the the risk of suicide, which once again is the ultimate darkest ending of this path is more than twice that of the general population. And another thing is health professionals are less likely to seek treatment for this uh, for a couple different reasons. One is time constraints. Another one is hesitating to draw attention to weakness. And um, they're also concerned about the reputation and confidentiality. So we really want to bring this open to the public and allow this discussion to be healthy Meyer and I are big fans that the more self-aware you are of your weaknesses, the stronger you actually are as a human. So uh, we want to make sure that all orthodontists, all of our members can embrace that same philosophy and realize that it is okay to discuss. And another thing we also wanted to point out, though, is although mainly these are members that listen to these podcasts, this has got to reflect also onto orthodontic staff as I think we will experience orthodontic staff members also showing these signs and symptoms of depression, anxiety. And uh, the last thing we want our own team members to feel is that they're alone in this. It's interesting where, you know, where do these, why why does this happen now? What's changed in the world that um, bring these kind of problems to the surface or subsurface, I guess is what we're saying. I had a good friend that had a wonderful boat. I used to spend my summers in Alaska and I as a as a teenager, I I looked at that and said, "Boy, Clyde, how am I ever going to keep up with you?" You know, and he looked at me and he said, "Well, you're not you're not competing with me. 
I mean, number one, any, anything that I have, you could have anyway. That's the kind of guy he was. And the advice that he gave me was just be yourself. You get to decide what's enough for you. And then he pointed out something to me that, that stuck with me, and people have heard me say it many times, that when you have enough, anything more than that is, well, I think that's called more than enough, which I think is the definition of too much. When you have too much of something, isn't that when you have more than enough? And I think the key to mental wellness is that you get to decide what is enough for you. Um, we have we live in a society of social media, uh, and it's a very effective way to communicate. Um, you look at, at, at how we get our message out at an association, but also into that social media is perhaps of uh, a false sense of happiness or success to think that, that we measure our success or, or our fulfillment in life by something that somebody put on the internet. I, I don't think too many people post when they have a zit, but they certainly post the happy things and that, and, and do we have that weakness to think that we're not measuring up because what we see is greater or more than what we have when in reality, what we have is enough for us. And so we walk around and feeling like in a constant state of failure there, it's okay. We're, the average person is average, and an average orthodontist is okay. Um, the the anxiety that you feel because you don't measure up to what you see on the internet or is is probably not not a real a real thing. As Myron alluded to, one of the most powerful communication mechanisms in our profession right now are online Facebook forums, and there are a handful of them, and they're just going to keep increasing. It's really increased the quality of our profession, the communication, and I believe the mindset that we are colleagues and not competitors, as uh, some of our members have phrased that. One of the biggest dangers is the new grad or the doctor that's been practicing for you know a short amount of time, and they see these numbers that some doctors are posting in terms of practice metrics and practice success, and it actually sends to send those doctors into more of a spiral than uplift uplift them. Whether or not these stats are true, we're not here to discuss that, but what we are here to discuss is um, as powerful as social media is for the positive, it is equally as powerful for the negative. So I think we have to be aware as members that um, what we say on social media if it's a positive message, it will absolutely act like a virus amongst our membership and infuse everybody with some energy and some uplifting attitude. But um, some people might not view it that way, even though you might have the best intentions. And I think we need to be aware of that. So uh, when we are judging our happiness based on expectations that we set on ourselves or the new reality that gets communicated based on our peers, I think we have to be conscious that life is still okay if we're not hitting those numbers and we should not be comparing ourselves to others, but just find our own happiness and worth in what we're doing for our patients, one patient at a time. I think sometimes too, that the feeling is that the sky's falling, changing ortho landscape that we have, I think uh, panics us to some extent. It's interesting that the in 2016, the average new patient starts in a practice was 276, which was a significant increase from 2014, uh, where it was 248. And so over those two years, practices grew. The average number of new patients exams in 2016 
was 431, which was an increase of almost 10% from 2014. Uh, The average number of patients in active treatment uh, per respondent was 610, again, up nearly 10% from 2014. It's estimated that the total number of patients in active treatment in 2016 is over 6 million, uh, whereas in 2014 it was 5.4 million. And so while the perception may be that the sky is falling in reality, we're doing as well as we ever have done. I love the Facebook groups. I love the uh, electronic study clubs. I love the sharing of information, the candidness and the candor of which people will, will present a case that they're having troubles with. And the, for lack of a better term, the respect that the respondents reply you're having these kind of problems. I don't know what to do. This is what I've done in the past. This one. And I think that's very a, a very positive part of the, the social media experience. It's managing the expectations to know that you're doing okay, even if you don't measure to the metrics that somebody else has. One of the most interesting things that uh, Myron came across in his research that we we got to discuss a little bit earlier was Myron, can you talk about the number one way that millennials cope with stress? Yeah, it was it was interesting that I came across an article that talked about anxiety and depression in millennials and and how millennials with money problems, I would equate that to high student loan debt, car payments, uh, house payments, practice payments. Gosh, does that sound like a segment of our of our membership? Um, but the number one way that that these millennials with money issues um, use as a stress coping mechanism is to surf the internet. The other number two way they used to cope was to eat. So I don't know how you can surf and eat at the same time. I, I'm pretty good at that too. But that was their coping mechanism where yet a lot of the dissonance in their life comes from what they read on the internet. And uh, it kind of becomes a vicious cycle where they, feel, they sense a lack of productivity. They get, an, you know, they, they get the anxiety from that, which leads to more loss of productivity, which leads to more anxiety. And, and how, do we, how do we break that cycle? How do we determine what's real for us. And and I think that's the the key is what's real for for you as an individual. What are you comfortable with? What's enough for you? What kinds of uh, resources are out there for help? Where do people find them? How do, how do they research to find the help they need? That that's that's an important question because I think sometimes the problems that people are trying to solve are being created by where they're looking for the solution. Um I believe it was Abraham Lincoln that said uh it has to be true. It was on the internet. I, I I read that on the internet. You know, the this isn't a new problem. It's just a new discussion that we're having about it. There's lots of resources. Friends, clergy, school counselors uh, are a great way to start. There were several organizations in our research that we came across. One was the uh, NAMI, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, we prefer to say mental wellness. And then the other one was NIMH, which is the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, you can Google that. It, it'll come up with their website. And it lists lots of resources that are available to people who to see, where to go, what to do. And then, Anil, you had one, the suicide prevention line. What was that one? So the AFSP is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So that is the third, and they have some uh, really valuable resources on their website for health professionals specifically. 
and, and again, I think it was a little disheartening in some of our research that whenever they talked about anxiety and depression, the, the first link was to a suicide prevention, you know, and, and these kind of things. I, I would love to see the resources that talk about mental wellness. There's an athlete, he's a, a football player, and uh, in, he, he's doing a football clinic in Utah where I'm from, and he is accentuating the mental wellness of these young athletes that are there with him. And I, I don't know his whole story. It was, it was interesting, but I, I like the idea that he was being proactive about mental wellness and not being reactive to a mental illness. Do you feel that people may feel very alone, very isolated, and that maybe there is no help for them? Pam, that's, that's one of the resounding factors that's constant uh, with patients that suffer from this is uh, the fear that they are the only ones, the fear that people cannot relate, the fear that they might be judged, and all of that's going to lead to loneliness. And they don't have a lot of people that they can speak to. But uh, once again, as you mentioned and Dr. Guyman mentioned and myself, no one is alone in any of this. And once I opened up about therapy and other people have, the people that are all seeking these treatments daily, weekly, monthly is much bigger than we would ever imagine or feel comfortable talking about. But it only takes one person to ask, are you okay? And you are not alone. And you will notice a turnaround and you specifically just with that one question and one statement can change a life. Are there particular signs that people should be on the lookout for? There are. And in looking at websites and information, some of the most specific signs are if somebody's acting down, not able to sleep, or maybe sleeping too much. If someone is shutting their friends out or giving their stuff away. If somebody just doesn't seem like themselves. Sometimes people stop doing things that they used to love. Or if they're showing up late not getting certain things done in extremes if they start acting reckless or irritable, possibly yelling or snapping at team members or patients, drinking too much, feeling burnout, or just depressed or hopeless. Those are usually the cardinal signs that the path they've, they've started down this path. I believe also one of the other cardinal signs is that they no longer take joy or happiness from the things that used to give them that joy and, and happiness, um, the withdrawal you know, into, into themselves. Um, and it's okay to ask, Hey, are you okay? Is there something I can help you with? Are you in a safe place? And I, and I think sometimes it, the people that suffer from this don't realize that there's a, that there's a cure for it or a, a remedy for it. I'm sick, but I don't know it, but I sure would like to feel better. But what's wrong with me? Well, maybe nothing's wrong with you. It's your situation and that there's help and there's hope and there's, a way to get better and a way to feel better and a way to deal with the issues that are, are taking the joy from your life. And, and again, you're, you're never alone. There's always somebody, there's always some place where you can get that help. There often, I think has been a stigma associated with taking medicine to help your mental health. Um, we talked earlier before the interview began about, you know, if you have, needs for insulin, you take insulin. If you have arthritis, you'll take pain medicine. It's okay. It's There's not a stigma associated with taking a pill for anxiety or depression. It's okay. 
it's like the dentist that gets so heartbroken that they need a root canal. You know, we, we treat patients all the time in our own practices. And it is not a uh, scarlet letter on these patients that they need braces or they need something straightened out. And medication is something that is prevalent in our society. And there are times, it is a fact, there are times and probably more times than we care to admit that we actually need medication to get us over the hump. And it's a matter of getting us over the hump. It does not mean we are crazy. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with us. It is just to help our bodies cope and to get through and get back onto the right path and not on staying on a dark path. And again, to reiterate that this is going to affect all of us at some point, if it hasn't already. Um, lesson for me, the one of the first patients I got to treat in dental school uh, was an older woman, and she had lost a, a child in a very unfortunate manner. And uh, she was very frank about that. Um, I can deal with it when I can deal with it. But when I can't, I know I can get help. And that had that had been everything from medication to uh, inpatient counseling, uh, touch and base with a, you know, a life coach, a therapist at times. And it's, it's like she said, I have good days. I have bad days. Um, the bad days are bad. The good days get me through the bad days. But when I can't deal with it myself, I know I can get help. And, and I've always remembered Eunice for those, you know, those words of, of encouragement and, and, uh, wisdom from someone who had, who had been through this. You know, as our roles as a, as an orthodontist, uh, as a small businessman, as an employer, uh, we, we take on the burden of taking care of, of many, many people. We take care of our staff. We take care of our families indirectly. We take care of our staff's families. You know, there's the lab guy. Uh, there's the people that clean our office. All of these people are depending on us. And I think we do a pretty good job of evaluating how we're doing taking care of them. But I wonder if, if at times we need to step back and evaluate are we taking care of ourselves or maybe somebody would notice that we weren't. You know, Myron, that's a great point. And part of being the AEO is part of being an organization that looks after each other and looks after the profession. And we not only have to feel okay that we are not alone and be able to proactively reach out for help, but I think we're called to look for signs in others and to actually let people know on our own peer level that they are not alone. Orthodontists, we're smart, we're talented. We get overwhelmed like everybody else. We are not immune to that. The people that suffer from this, like we said, might find it even harder to ask for help. We've talked about how healthcare professionals and the rate of suicide is almost double than other professions. We all wish we would have said something for those of us that have experienced that, but it's a bit too late. We want to make sure that it's not too late. What you really want to ask is, are you okay and how can I help? The best way to prevent suicide is to show that you care and get the person the help that they need. So we can't be afraid to ask right now, are you thinking about anything bad? Are you safe? And even something as blunt as, are you thinking about taking your own life? People want someone to ask that they care and to know that they're all right. Friends, coworkers, anybody, fellow orthodontists, they want someone to ask, are you thinking about killing yourself? And if they say yes, or maybe, or sometimes, here's what you don't say. 
You can't say that's crazy. You can't say one mistake isn't worth doing this or that's not going to solve anything. What what we have to say is, I'm sorry you're feeling so bad and and how can I help you? We can get through this together. Let's get you some help. You have to assume that you are the only one that will reach out and get this person the help they need. None of us should ever be worried or ashamed of getting help, and it really is the strong professional thing to do. We have to let our peers know, our team know, that they have options and there are people that can help them. We have to let them know that they can always turn to us and make sure that they have the National Suicide Lifeline number, which is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. We have to help them find somebody to talk to and somebody that can actually help. It might not be you to help, but it might be you to walk them to help. If you think that something might lead down a dark path, they might hurt themselves, you, you can't leave them alone. We all get down. We have our bad days, but sometimes it actually is going to be more than that. The only way to find out is if you ask. It never hurts to ask. It never hurts to care. It can make a huge difference. Anyone can do it. And it really is a matter of life and death. Dr. Ridicula, what are you hoping comes out of this chat today? Uh, ultimately, we hope this can save some lives. But to start that, we need to make sure the conversation is safe and it's acceptable. So the bottom line is we wanted to take a step forward at the AO and start having the conversation, letting people know it's okay, and actually starting to stimulate some some conversation about this in hopes that people can feel welcome in our profession to discuss any obstacles they have, uh, and we can get through these hurdles together as peers. Dr. Guyman? You know, I'm I'm more of a classic rock kind of guy, but I think I'm going to quote Pink on this one. It's, I'm coming out, let's get this party started. Um, let's blow up the internet. Let's talk about this on our, in our ortho blog. Let's talk about this in our study group. Let's talk about this at our component meetings that, Hey, this is a discussion that needs to be had. And if it did, maybe it needs to start with me. Maybe it needs to start with us. Um, that, that there is, it, it's vital to our health, the health of our families, the health of our profession, that, that we deal with issues as they come up and that the resources are there so that we can, that there is hope, there is a solution. Um, it may not be easy, but, but it's never hopeless, and that's what I would hope would come out of this. You know, this is the start of the conversation and, and where it leads. With Dr. I and me, who, who knows where this will lead, but um, look, look in the future uh, for other uh, podcasts, webinars, uh, study tracks, things like that, coming from the AO to keep this discussion going. And, and like I say, you do what you can do and we'll do what we can do. And, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's get to that mental wellness goals that we, that we want. Excellent discussion, gentlemen. Thank you very much. This is Pam Paladin. Thanks for listening to the podcast.